Hello and welcome. My name is Brent. I am one of the pastors here at Mount Rainier Christian Center. And uh, this is the first episode of a new weekly series uh, that we are going to be taking a deeper look into our sermons here at Mount Rainier Christian Center. And we're going to be taking a deeper dive into them, asking some questions. Some of these questions will come from you, the, the people who are watching and folks who attend MRCC. Some of the questions will be generated by me to try and just dive a little bit more into the content uh, that we're hearing on Sunday mornings. And maybe, maybe my thought is that we could make this as much or more of a dialogue as well as a monologue. So Absolutely. We, we kind of, you know, back and forth, you bet. Absolutely. So this time, uh, on the show, we are in our Set Apart series, where we are diving into some of the more controversial and difficult aspects of our faith, and how we how we position those and wrestle with those and learn about those. And uh, on the show today, we're going to talk a little bit deeper about the message King and Country, um, and we're going to talk about how our patriotism and our faith interact and, yeah. and sort of intersect. So the, the first question that yeah. I have is, is kind of early on in the sermon, we hear that in regards to balancing God and our love for our country, it's really a matter of choosing which one we love more, right? We're yeah. picking between two things that we love. Yeah. Which one do we love more? Now, some might claim that anything less than putting your country first is unpatriotic. Mm -hmm. So how can we as believers practically and lovingly respond yeah. to people who make that argument? No, that's a great question, Brent. Um, and, you know, the short answer to that is that we actually love our country best when we love God first. Um, you know, our ability to know how to love our country our ability to know when to speak truth to our country when she's in error, uh, as well as when to, you know, affirm her when she's doing the right thing. That depends on our first belonging and our thinking and our feeling to the Lord. You know, uh, the, the way to think about it is that, you know, we're all really, in a sense, missionaries. We're, we're sent from our home country to this country to serve her and bless her. Um, and we do that best when uh, we remember where we come from. You might remember there was an illustration in the message about uh, a new ambassador and was meeting with the Secretary of State in the White House. And he asked the ambassador, he said, you know, now, do you know where your country is on the globe? And of course, the ambassador went to the globe and found the country he was going to. And uh, Secretary of State George Schultz back in the day, he he anticipated this and he said, that's why he asked the question. And he said, no, 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 this is your country. This is the country you serve. And in the same way, we our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to the kingdom. And because of that, it makes us good citizens on earth. Absolutely. Um, so to sort of piggyback then off of that with this this idea of we serve our country best when we are serving God first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's maybe, can you give us a practical example of how that might play out in someone's daily life or in our regular things that we encounter? Yeah, yeah, I can. I can actually give you a personal example. Okay. Uh, so when I was in the military, when I was in the Marines, I was overseas and, um, you know, we had policies about when to be on and off the base. And we had to be on the base after certain hours off the base at other times. And at one time I was returning back to the base and um, there was a car broke down by the side of the road. Um, I was in Iceland at the time, these were Icelandic citizens. And, you know, my, my responsibility to my country was to get back on base. 
But I understood that I could actually serve my country better by, I'm wearing a uniform, by stopping and helping these people with their car, you know, and then they would go away and say, wow, this guy. So in a sense, I was kind of disobeying my country, but actually, you know, I was giving my country the reputation it wants to have and doing something that would live on in those people's hearts, hey, the American soldier stopped and, uh, you know, helped us out. So that would be an example. You know, whenever we put God first, whenever we obey him first, we actually represent our country well. So that that representation is sort of a, that witness is yeah. is very important. And that's yeah, sort of how absolutely. we can serve. Yes. Um, absolutely. Okay. Uh, now, this is something that I'm sure all of us would love to hear an easy, simple answer to. <laughs> but uh, is it possible to be equally loyal to both your country and to God? Is that something that we can manage or balance? Or are we always going to have to choose? That's really a great question, uh, Brent. And, you know, uh, the Lord also talks about kind of the order of our loyalties within our family. You know, and, uh, you know, Rhonda and I, when we raised our son, there would come moments in our family's life when I would need to choose between my loyalty to my son and my loyalty to my wife. But what I came to understand was that every time I put her first, I was actually helping him because he needs to see that example so that someday when he's married, he understands, you know, that the kids need to see dad honoring mom, you know? Um, so yeah, it's hard, but you really do have to make that decision. Um, if, if we don't, to give a biblical example, Jesus repeatedly challenged the Jews because they were putting their Jewish national identity, patriotism, if you will, yeah. they were putting that above devotion to their neighbor or to people who were far from God or, or to him, you know, they, they would put their devotion to, to Israel first. And that was wrong, you know? So, uh, it was in their putting Jesus at the top of that list that they actually became better Israelites, you know, and more God honoring people, which is what Israel was meant to be all along. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. And the idea then that it's kind of, it's difficult to wrestle with because we want it, we want to make it simple yeah. and just half and half. But right. the idea is that by serving God first, mm -hmm. we are doing a better job of serving our country than we could do if we were just focused entirely on that. Yeah, exactly. And if, you know, real quick, another example uh, there was a U.S. Army lieutenant in Grenada during the occupation of Grenada, and um, he was on a post because uh, they were supposed to be, uh, you know, working to pacify these gangs that had taken over the city. And uh, he was instructed, you know, that he by his commanding officer that he was not to leave that post. Well, you know, he observed a crime being committed, a serious crime by one of these gang members. And uh, he reported to his commanding officer. His commanding officer said, no, you can't go testify about that at the at the the trial that was to occur, the court proceedings. And he said, but but I got to, <laughs> you know, and so there came this back and forth. Now, here's the reason I tell the story. He ultimately chose to go and testify at the court proceeding. The result was that he was court-martialed, lost his career, and was thrown out of the army. But he said afterwards, and his commanding officer agreed, that he'd done the right thing. And I think it's important that when we talk about these loyalties, you know, 
sometimes we want to have our cake and eat it too. And God calls us to, to demonstrate the right loyalty and then willingly pay the price, whatever it is. Right. So this man lost his armored career, but he says, it's okay. I get it. You know, that's, that's the right thing to do. Same thing we see in Hebrews chapter 10, when God says to the Israelites, Hey, once, or uh, actually the writer of Hebrews says to the early Christians, remember how joyful you were to suffer for your faith in the beginning. That's a sign of health. And uh, so, yeah, we, we want to be able to do that and be willing to do that. So it's not just as simple as, Oh, if, if we're doing this, it's not this prosperity idea. If we're doing this, everything's going to go right with this. It's that we could suffer consequences, but we are ultimately assured in our heart that we are, we're on the right path. We're doing the right thing. And that this is, this is good. Absolutely. And, and God will reward it. Yes. In the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, moving on. We, uh, you shared the scripture of Jesus driving the money changers out yeah. of the temple courts, mm-hmm. a very famous story. Many people yeah. probably know. Uh, and you point out that his reasoning was because the Jews weren't being anti-racist in this moment when they should have been, uh, in other words, they were allowing this sort of prejudice to happen yeah. when they should have been against it. Mm-hmm. Why is this really the only time or the most famous time that we hear of Jesus behaving this way? Oh, gosh, I can't tell you. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit superintends what uh, stories we have from mm-hmm. the Lord's life. You know, there's a great passage for those of us who are serious about understanding our Bible. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, I'm paraphrasing, but it says God's revealed some things and not revealed others. So uh, I don't know why, you know, uh, but that moment is often misunderstood, as we talked about. You know, um, people think that Jesus was throwing the money changers out of the temple because he didn't want things to be bought and sold in the temple. Well, no, the historical context was that that people pilgrims would come a long ways to Jerusalem, go to the temple. They didn't have an offering to give and they wanted to. So they would buy an offering from these vendors, you know, who were selling animals uh, to be offered in sacrifice. But what the Jews were doing was they would allow those sales to be made to Jews, but not Gentiles. Mm. When God says the whole person I created Israel is take the gospel to the Gentiles. So they were actually engaging in racism by prohibiting and and Jesus calls him on the carpet and it's actually the angriest we ever see the Lord yes, right yes so uh that's a rebuking yeah. uh, of the na- national identity um but really it's a rebuking of it because it's been twisted yes you know in the same way, uh, you know, that kind of thing can happen to America and has been done by America. So we've got to be able to tell the difference. Yeah, Absolutely. And then a follow-up question then to that. I think this is more of the important one that I think many of us wonder. Does this example that we, we see Jesus doing this, does this mean that there are some issues that we as people of faith have a right to or ought to get hot-blooded and violent about? Oh, I certainly think. Yeah. Violence is a tough one. Um, certainly. In up in arms, I yeah. guess. Yeah, certainly I think there's a place for uh, e- even our outrage because we see Jesus demonstrate that. And I think we have to be really careful about that, though, because um, we often get there a lot faster than God does, you know. It's true. And, right. And, uh, you know, you were talking about this being the only incident. It's the only incident in which we saw Jesus get kind of physically involved. Um, and interestingly, it was not an issue uh, that, um, was civic, you know, it was a misrepresentation of who God is. Uh, it it took something that serious to get him wound up. So yeah, there's a time and place for those things, but, um, you know, we, we need to be so careful that 
we don't get there ahead of God. Well, and the scripture does tell us that we're to be slow to anger, right? Yeah, and that's it, as God is. So that's definitely something we need to keep at the core is this idea that there's always room for, um, you know, for, for peace as much as it depends on us. But there Abs is a, a point where God even is outraged. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of flesh that out a little bit too, let's remember that, um, you know, this kind of anger wasn't directed at unbelievers. You know, the, the Jews were believers and should have been, you know, behaving differently. Uh, you know, the, God never calls us to be angry at unbelievers. When, an, when somebody who doesn't know God's word or God's truth or God's love behaves contrary to it, and you're surprised and upset about that. I mean, that's like, that's yeah. Much so, in the same way that maybe a, a parent who has kids that have friends over, they wouldn't yell at the friends for not understanding the rules of the house, but the parent would certainly get yeah. upset at the children that they raised to know the rules. Perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. Absolutely. Okay. A few practical questions and then we'll wrap up for this session. But uh, next one, many of us see freedom and the restriction of our rights as evil, mm -hmm. right? How are we supposed to view our rights as believers? Does a true believer pursue no rights because it allows the most opportunity to sort of witness or what's the right frame of mind for us to, to approach this with? Really good question, uh, Brent. And, you know, God would tell us in a great reference for this is first Corinthians nine. Uh, Paul says, you know, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave so that I might win some. So, for the follower of Jesus, we, of course, would love to have our rights, all right? It's not like we throw them away or don't value them. But we are always ready to set them aside in order to make the gospel heard. Um, you know, in order to make God's love known, Jesus surrenders to an unjust conviction and a, a murder on a cross, right? So what that tells us is that, hey, when we have an opportunity to make God's love and grace known, and it means paying a price, we pay it. We pay it joyfully, happily. It's a privilege. I think of the believers in Acts chapter five who were in prison, and uh, then they were released from prison uh, after being flogged and ordered not to speak the gospel. And what did they do? They rejoiced that they were considered worthy of suffering. How far have we gotten from that? Yes. You know, uh, the believers, uh, and I, we could talk about this at length, but uh, believers understand that we surrender our rights whenever and wherever it will help people hear the gospel. Uh, that's a big subject we go into another time, but Absolutely. in a nutshell. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Last little question before, before we wrap up. Um, we learned that sort of, as you shared, the future doesn't depend on having the right person in the White House, but having the right Lord in our own house. Yeah. Um, with that being said, how can we or should we approach voting as representatives of Jesus? If there aren't any obviously faith-filled candidates, should we abstain? Is it a lesser of two evils? What? Uh, how should we position ourselves there as believers? Really great question, Brent. And the only answer that I can give biblically, you know, I have lots of opinions. Of course. The only answer that I can give biblically is follow your conscience. You know, um, one difference between now and then is that we live in a representative democracy or republic where we have uh, a responsibility to uh, to vote and to participate in in directing, you know, our our country. So uh, I would counsel everyone to, to get involved and vote. Um, 
where where I think we have to be very careful is when we two things. First, if we believe that our our uh, civil advocacy is the key to our mission, it's not. God has not come to save the country; He's come to save people. Right. So um, we need to keep as a priority that sharing of the gospel and that seeking justice for our neighbors. Um, you know, helping the poor and the weak and the widow and the orphan, all that. We need to keep that first and foremost in our hearts. Um, Jesus was offered power in government and turned it down. That should be a huge uh, teaching moment for us. Uh, the key to doing good is not gaining control of the government. The key to doing good is our relationships with our neighbors, our family, yes. and, friends, and our enemies. You know, yeah. being the way we treat our enemies. So, you know, that's the first thing is to understand that that's not the key. And then the second thing is to understand that there's not one. A party or group that has all the answers, right? So the best you can do is choose the one that, um, you know, to use uh, Israel's history, choose the person who best uh, reflects the character of Jesus, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, we're talking about people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there's this tendency to say, well, it's about issues, not people. No, it's not. It's about people. Um, you know, to give an, a, a biblical example, Herod built the temple, but he didn't love God. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of Jews are like, yay, Herod, because he built the temple. But Herod was as wicked as they come, yeah. you know. So um, we want to have that kind of a perspective, uh, you know, understanding that Sure, voting is a responsibility. Uh, we are here with you know civic duties, but infinitely more significant is you know our seeking to build relationships wherein we can share the gospel. It's and I'll, I'll shut up, but it's interesting to note that Jesus engaged in zero civic action because he understood that the key to civic action that we want to see is to see the hearts of men change. I, I might offer a quote and, and I'll be done. Of course. Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a political reporter who then became a believer, uh, wrote towards the end of his life, he said, I have become convinced that the single most political act that I can take is to lead another man to faith in Jesus. Right. So I, I think we keep the focus there. Then, uh, the other stuff comes in behind and, uh, that's that's the way we should. And I think with that too comes a recognition that I think a lot of people are afraid of what might happen if they yeah. uh, if their preferred party doesn't win or whatever. Right. I think this recognition that there is nobody can be put in power that is would be so powerful as to usurp God, right? right? And to overcome His sovereignty, right? Yes. So um, there is no amount of uh, political influence that can happen in our country right. that that God is not capable of Absolutely. of working through, right? Yes. So I think that's also really uh, Good healthy. Point. Fantastic stuff. Uh, thank you very much. To close out the show, uh, if you could leave folks with one short little encouragement or reminder to sort of latch onto mm -hmm. from this sermon, what would it be? We love our country best when we love Jesus most. Yeah. Love it. Just, uh, short and sweet and to the point. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all for today, friends. Uh, thank you, Greg, for giving the time, for sitting with thank us. You. And thank you for joining us, for watching. Uh, we hope to have many, many more of these coming for you in the future. So stay tuned for those. Uh, but for now, until next time, we'll see you later. God bless.